So our reading is Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 52. Starts off with the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will, whoever has, will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what, they, even what they do have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but, worry, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good ground refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered because while you're pulling the weeds, you may pull the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. 
Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. He told them another, still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The parable of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the, people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, then will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The parables of the, the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man, man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Let's just pray for Nick as he expounds that. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that we can still read the words that were spoken by our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And, and, and we just pray, Lord, that we can learn what you really meant by those words. Just pray for Nick now as he comes and explains those words to us, uh, that uh, his words can be your words, Lord, and that, that you, can, uh, you can speak directly through him to our hearts and uh, tell us the stories the way you originally wanted us to be, them to be told, Lord. Amen. Nick. I don't think I'd noticed that little bit at the end um, before it just struck me. Jesus, um, Jesus says to them, have you understood all these things? And they go, yes. And I kind of, I kind of like, oh, it doesn't, you know, I don't imagine it was a really confident yes. But if you could say, have, have you understood this chapter? And you go, yes. Then, um, then you'd know what you need to know about, about the kingdom of God. Because that's where we are this morning in, in the Lord's Prayer. 
Um, we're thinking about these next few verses in, in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And that leaves us all, all straight away with, with some questions. What is God's kingdom? Because it's clear, isn't it, that as creator, he is automatically king of everything. God is our creator. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him, Psalm 24. Our God is the king of glory. Um, Psalm 24 again. Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. So he is the creator. It is all his. Um, he does with it as he chooses um, in a way that's unopposed. Or as Nebuchadnezzar found out the hard way, his dominion is an eternal dominion. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So why then are we to pray your kingdom come as on earth as it is in heaven? And there's another question. How does God's kingdom come? And a third question. How does it relate to your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And I think Matthew 13 gives us a really helpful kind of starting point. And uh, we'll, look at, we'll look at some of these in, just in brief, um, whiz through them and try and understand, what, understand some more about God's kingdom um, from Matthew 13. And the first thing, uh, actually that question, how does, how does the kingdom come, answered in the first parable. The kingdom comes by the speaking of a message. It doesn't come by force of arms doesn't come by an election, it comes by proclamation. Initially by Jesus, isn't it? But then that message is perpetuated by those who hear uh, and provide a a good crop. So the kingdom comes by proclamation, uh, handed on, handed on, and handed on by those who hear. But there are enemies, three enemies there to that process. The first one is Satan. And it, you notice in the first, the first group of people, um, that's the soil that falls on the, uh, the path, doesn't it? Um, it's, uh, they hear, Jesus says, but they don't understand. They hear, it's interesting, isn't it? But they don't understand. And this is the state of the unbeliever. They're already in Satan's kingdom, though they don't know about it. They are blind and they are, um, and then they are deaf. Um, to Christ already but when the gospel is proclaimed Jesus says it's like Satan is there again um, to make sure that though they've heard the gospel um, they don't understand it then there's trouble and persecution which comes to new believers because they're newfound faith or at least they're apparently new believers but they fall away because there's no root and here again actually Satan is ultimately at work because Satan is the root of trouble um, you think of, of Job, and he's the stirrer up of, of, of persecution. We'll see in a minute that um, uh, John says, he that's in you, the Spirit of God is greater than he that is in the world. And it helps us to have this clear in our mind when we're talking about, about the kingdom. We have the Spirit of God with us, um, and the other spirit, um, Satan, is, is in the world. So Satan can't attack you directly in the, in the sense of putting thoughts in your mind, He can't attack you directly without permission of God, but he can be at work in the world. That actually is his kingdom, and if he wants to raise up somebody to stand in your face and give you trouble, yes, that he can do. And trouble and persecution cause those without a root to fall away. 
But where there is, even where there is a root, the seed sprouts and then worries and wealth choke out um, fruitfulness. You've heard this before. I'm not going to spend time on it. But believers get distracted. Get distracted by other priorities and then there's no fruitfulness. They, that, that chain of proclamation falls down and, and nobody gets here. Nobody gets to hear. But the good soil are those people who hear and understand, Jesus says. And the people who hear and understand and who are not um, choked by wealth and worries, they produce a crop. And by definition, that means that they must, go, must be going out and proclaiming that message again. And actually, that's why, that's why um, sowing the seed is a really good illustration, because you sow seed, goes down into the ground, and what do you get? You get more seed. And that's what should happen in Christians. So when we're praying your kingdom come, we're praying that the message of Jesus will be proclaimed. We're praying that those who hear it will will be unblinded, that they will hear and understand. Something supernatural has to go on. We're praying that where there are new believers, they're protected and strengthened through um, times of trouble. And we're praying that this next generation of Christians carry on generating seed that they're not silenced by worry or by wealth. That was the first one. <clears throat> Parable of the weeds. I spent more time on that and there were others, don't worry. There are two and only two kingdoms. That's really clear, isn't it? Two and only two kingdoms. Satan and God's. So there is an enemy kingdom. There is no middle ground. We imagine there is a neutral territory because God's hand of judgment is deferred. And you see, this is where this is most clearly explained in the New Testament, that God chooses deliberately not to judge those who are in Satan's kingdom until Christ comes again. If he chose to do it now, it would be really clear. There's God's kingdom and there's Satan's kingdom, and all those who are in Satan's kingdom, uh, they have a really hard time and they all die and, uh, you know, and awful things happen to them. Um, but God has chosen to defer his judgment and so we think that there is middle ground, there is neutral territory but there isn't so we think that yes there's Satan's kingdom where there's witchcraft or occultism or criminality or uh, something like that and then there's God's kingdom where people love him and there's, there's middle ground but there isn't it's not true, only two kingdoms so only two kingdoms, God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom, and therefore there are only, uh, only two destinies, um, those in God's kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom, so God's kingdom carries on beyond death for you and I, carries on beyond when Christ comes again. It just gets to be God's kingdom in a new location, heaven on earth. Um, Satan's kingdom is destined for blazing fire. So his kingdom is a sham because he's only king over it uh, for this moment in time. He's only temporarily in control of it and there'll become a day when he uh, and all who uh, adhere to it will, will go to blazing fire. There's a lot of burning, you have to say, don't you? A lot of burning goes on in this passage. You notice uh, the words burn and fire come up quite a lot. So when we pray, um, God's kingdom come, we're praying that people get transferred from, from one kingdom to the other. And we're actually then, we're actually, we are actually praying for that day of, of judgment to come. I don't think you can pray your kingdom come without, in a sense, asking the Lord to, to come again 
uh, and to bring his coming, uh, his kingdom in fully and for the, the, Satan, uh, the kingdom of Satan to be finally destroyed. I realised that I forgot to prepare part of the sermon, which is about this mustard seed um, and, the, uh, um, and, and the kingdom uh, and the dough. But, but what is the message of, of, of that tree? The, the kingdom of God um, ultimately pervades. The kingdom of God ultimately pervades, like yeast through dough. If you put yeast in dough, you, you have leavened bread. Inevitably, you mix it long enough, you have leavened bread. The kingdom of God ultimately pervades. Um, and, the, and the mustard seed, the kingdom of God, um, ultimately provides. Um, it, it provides for, uh, for, for all those who... It provides a place of, of safety, a, a home. Um, the kingdom of God ultimately prevails. Ultimately, it triumphs. There you go. There's three P's off the cuff. Um, but they're true, aren't they? So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're actually praying for something which is, which is kind of inevitable. God's kingdom will prevail. Um, we're asking for God to provide for those in the, in the kingdom, but, but we still are, are called upon to, to, to pray that it comes. And then the hidden treasure and the, and the pearl. Kingdom is more precious. Kingdom of God is more precious than any precious thing you can imagine. It's better than winning the lottery. It's better than inheriting all the wealth of the Middle East. It's better than being able to buy Newcastle Football Club. It's just... Um, um, it, it's... It's better than whatever it is that you value the most. Don't know what that might be, and you might want to take a moment sometime to think about what it is. What is it? it is a really value. It, it, it's more precious than that, Jesus says. This is about response to the kingdom of God. It's more precious. It is worth selling all you have to gain. Both, both these, um, these guys, the man who, who, who finds treasure in the field, it's a bit like a rogue detectorist, isn't he? Um, it's not his field. Um, but he goes and um, sells all he has and, uh, to get this treasure, which is, in the, which is the kingdom of God, which is, which is knowing God in, in Christ. Um, so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for people to, to see the value uh, of knowing God in Christ. We're praying that people will see it as the most precious thing. And we're praying for our own hearts and for their hearts that will be totally sold out um, for Christ. Nothing will come above that. And then the parable of the net, which kind of, I guess, kind of reinforces Jesus' point that there is a crunch point. There is a, a critical point in the future of the kingdom of God. There is a day coming when there will be a separation of the wicked and the righteous. There will be um, a, a judgment day. And we're all wicked. We're all wicked to start with, and that's what we are. That's what the church is made up of. It's made up of, uh, of wicked people who, who, who have been justified. Um, God justifies the wicked. It's an, it's an incredible truth. And they're those who are a little bit less wicked because Jesus has been at work in them over their lifetime. There are those who are counted righteous because of Christ. 
Hence, we can put ourselves, although not thoroughly righteous, in the category of the righteous with those justified by faith. That's what it means. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we're always praying with, uh, uh, with this critical moment, this judgment day in, in mind. So God's kingdom, it comes by this combined human and divine agency. It needs mouths to speak. It needs God to unblind. Rescues people from darkness to light. There's only two kingdoms. Continues into eternity. It escapes. It allows people to escape the blazing fire that is coming. And it is more precious than you can put any value on. But if we still answer the question, what is God's kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Lots of different ways to to define it, but let's put it like this out of the context today. It's the place um, where people say from the heart, out of love and thankfulness and adoration to God, your will be done. That's one way to look at at the kingdom of God, isn't it? Track back in in the Lord's Prayer, it is this kingdom of people who can say our father people who can say my father it's the kingdom of people um, adopted by God and so they can say our father to the God who is in heaven and of course it's achieved by the son and we've talked about that already it's achieved by the son going to the cross and it's this kingdom of people who love to praise his name and see his name praised and who cry out hallowed be your name they go and see Ren Collective and jump up and down um, I would imagine. Is that not going to happen? Yeah. There are people who love others enough to want them to join the kingdom and who are prepared to lay down their wills to that end. So I wonder, it might be pressing it a little bit far, but to say that your, will, your kingdom come and your will be done are like flip sides of the same coin. The, your kingdom come. Include more people. Extend your rule outwards, please, Lord. Your will be done. Include more of me in your kingdom. Those bits of me that are resisting your kingdom, please, Lord. Um, Grab hold of them. Change them. Change my heart. Extend your kingdom inwards. It's perhaps overpressing it. But your kingdom come and your will be done. Um, We want them to be done out there. We want them to be done in here. So I've been reflecting that, that, that the danger is that our outreach is half-hearted because the Lord's in-reach has been stymied. We're kind of wrestling with your kingdom come, putting that into practice because we're wrestling with, we're wrestling with your will be done. And the enemies are the same. The enemies of your will be done are the same as the enemies of... Uh, your kingdom come. Satan. Just become more clear to me, I guess, reading, reading this and reading the, um, uh, reading Matthew and <clears throat> time we spent with the Like Minds group, we talked a little bit about sin and Satan. He that is in you, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, is greater than he that, it, that, is, that is in the world. So he cannot take away your salvation um, by force. He cannot put um, thoughts in your mind, but he is in the world around you 
and he can just simply throw up distractions. He can throw up distractions. You can have that really annoying person at work. Because if he's not in the kingdom of Christ, he's in the kingdom of Satan. Could be your neighbor just kind of like parks the car across the, your drive because he's, you're a Christian and he just has this innate dislike of you. Smell of Christ and he doesn't like it. So Satan can throw up the distractions. But actually, quite often we just we sit... Um, to sit in front of the TV, you've got to realise that to sit in front of the TV or in any kind of media is potentially to put yourself in the way of Satan's distractions. And it takes quite a strong mind and a, quite a strong conscience not to be drawn in by the things you watch and see and, and hear. Just get drawn in by what's, well, that message. That message says you want fame. You want your 15 minutes of fame. You're owed your 15 minutes of fame. Um, you should be incredibly sexy and you should have, you know, and that's what it's saying to you and you should have, you know, you should have attention. You should have great attention from really sexy people. That's the, it's saying that to you all the time. It's saying you want the best food. You really, really want the best food and you want to cook well. It's saying you want this, you want this garden that's not just a kind of patch of scrubby grass. It's an extension of your home. Um, it connects you with nature. Um, you want the biggest gadgets. You really do. Um, or you want a bigger house, your house, your house doesn't flow, you know, it just doesn't, it just, you know, you need to knock these walls down. Um, and it can just be a distraction. Satan, so Satan for the non-Christian, he, he's already got them unblinded. And Jesus seems to imply then he's at work and... Um, uh, to, to snatch that message away when somebody, when somebody hears the gospel. But for Christians, he can't get in and he can't snatch the message. He can't snatch the message away, but he can snatch away your focus. Uh, he can distract you. And, and so often we kind of, we collude with that. <clears throat> Trouble and persecution, I guess we've just talked about that. Trouble is the stuff maybe that just comes your way and persecution seems to be trouble that's more deliberately because um, you're a Christian. But the, but the, what the Christian does is this. The nominal Christian, when, when trouble and persecution comes, they cut Christ out. They cut Christ out. They say, I haven't got time. I haven't got time for church. I haven't got time for devotions um, because I'm dealing with my troubles. That's, but that's essentially uh, the, the soil out of the parable, isn't it? Where, uh, as the, the real Christian... Um, says in those moments to God, comes to God and says, I got trouble here. God, I got trouble here, like Jesus does. I got trouble here. Please, please take it away. Please, please deal with it. But if you don't, but even if you don't want to, your will be done. Rather than trying to make Ishmael's and golden calves to sort it out ourselves. And worries and wealth. Are you prepared to be poor for Jesus? Or you're trying to build financial security for the future. This has been, retirement starts, uh, you know, providing for retirement. I was going to say retirement starts to play on my mind. It doesn't, but providing for it starts to, um, to play on, on my mind. Because you, you, this is the way our, our system works. You come to a point where you're not going to earn money anymore. Um, what are you going to do? How do you make sure that you're, uh, you've got a big enough pot for, uh, for retirement and your mind suddenly is in a different place? Can you carry on trusting Jesus? 
Actually, when you're in work, kind of um, work is more or less secure, and to that extent, you'll feel more or less secure. Um, can you trust Christ for that? For your finances? And I want to suggest that your, the response then, if you're struggling with any of these things, struggling saying your will be done, is to go to Gethsemane, which is where we started. Um, in the face of distraction, stay awake to Jesus. The, these poor guys, how many times did they fall asleep? Twice, three times. Disciples just they're, they're just falling asleep to the they're falling asleep to the to the to the to the biggest events of, of of history. So stay awake to Jesus. Learn from Gethsemane. Try and stay awake to Jesus. That means keep to your devotions. Um, keep coming to Christ. Keep coming to church. Um, stay awake to Jesus. Listen to what He's saying through His Word. In the face of trouble, pray like Jesus. We've said that already, which means get down on your knees. It means bring it to God. It means be honest about it. You know from the Psalms the kind of things you, you can say to the Lord. And then when all is said and done, say to the Lord, but your will be done. Trouble may not go away. That's really hard, isn't it? Trouble may not go away. In the face of wealth, walk like Jesus. I guess I'm, I'm sort of forcing this one into the passage a little bit, but but Jesus is not. Jesus is one of the reasons Jesus is so free at this point in time is that he he doesn't have to think, oh, what will happen to my house, and how will I pay the bills on Monday morning? Because he's laid all those things down. He's 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 living the, the simplest of simple lives. That's one of the reasons he's he's so free at this point. He's got no wealth with him to to trouble him or to think about. And his only asset is his, is his disciples, and he's entrusted those back to God, and he knows this, the Spirit will come and be another comforter. And the only other asset he's got to dispose of is his mom. And he gives her to John for John's care on the cross, and then he's done with it. He hasn't brought anything else to this point. Walk like Jesus. And in the face of persecution, don't be like these disciples who, in the next few verses, uh, run off in all different directions, in persecution, stick, stick with Jesus. And if you can do those things, then the kingdom will come in you. God's will will be done in you, and the kingdom of God will come around you. As, as people, in the words of Psalm 40, they see in fear and, and put their trust in the Lord. So I think we'll say the prayer, and then we'll, we'll sing some songs. Should we say this together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.